Good morning. It's so wonderful to see you all. Sometimes I think we wonder what it means to speak of our vow as Buddhist practitioners. Of course, we chant the four great vows every day and all of us are aware of what our Mahayana path offers us as a challenge and a great blessing to walk in the path of the Bodhisattva's vow. But sometimes it becomes a kind of abstraction, I think. And really, we forget that Vow comes from the first perfection, dana, giving. And of course, giving is something many people have trouble with because there is this fear that giving may take away something from the perspective of what we call in Buddhism the small self or the separate self or the illusory self or what Gallic Rinpoche called the imposter self, making a distinction between that and who we truly are, our true nature, true self. Which, of course, is not at all a dualistic kind of thing. The imposter self is the constructed self that comes from all of our habitual fears and delusions and old patterns of behavior that stem from the need to protect what doesn't exist. But, of course, I can say that, and you can hear that, and you can think to yourself, yeah, yeah, yeah it doesn't exist. Wow. Yeah, so-called. Uh-huh. But really, what are you most concerned about, if you're honest? Whenever you fall into patterns that are difficult, that create disharmony, it's because of that concern for the separate self. No relationship can go well as long as we think there is self and other. Because as soon as we construct a self, we have constructed those others out there who are going to do us harm. Maybe not harm as in violence, but harm as in not believing that I myself am the center of the universe. Of course, no one here would say so. And that's part of the problem. Because we take 
in the teachings, but they don't come completely in. There is always a slight ambivalence about giving oneself completely. And that's why I say, I'm so happy to see you all. Just by being here with each other, we are giving ourselves. This is vow. Many times it may feel inconvenient to come or there are so many other important things that take the place of being here. But when we come to sit, we may have the impression that it's so that we ourselves can feel a little lighter, a little less burdened, a little bit less troubled and maybe leave feeling that such and such has really helped. But really to sit together, the treasure of Sangha, to see there is no such thing as separate selfhood. We are doing this for all beings. What is our first great vow? Just by coming to sit, that happens. Of course you don't have faith in that, because the rational mind has been so stoked for so many years in the duality of self and others that the reality of all one is not fully appreciated. But so often I remind you that when Shakyamuni became the Buddha, the first words out of his mouth were, anybody? Baby Buddha, yes. (laughs) Well, when he sat under the Bodhi tree and on the morning of the eighth day, after so many years of struggle, ascetic struggle, really finally saying, I will not get up until I realize for myself this truth and not knowing what this truth was. When he did awaken, what were his first words? I and all beings together are perfect and complete, are awake, are. We cannot awaken ourselves if 
We cannot awaken karma ourselves if we think that awakening is for this separate self. We have to really have faith in what we come to feel in deep meditation, this oneness. It's not a concept. And it is a process. So that's why we practice. That's why we come again and again. That's why we sit for each other as knowing this is awakening. Oneself is awakening for all beings. That may seem like a lofty statement, but if you really understand that first vow, beings are numberless. I vow to save them all. Seeing how difficult this is, how caught up I am in my own concerns for protecting this separate self, I deeply vow, so here's where the vow comes from, I deeply vow to free myself knowing that this is to free all beings. What happens when you're really caught up in self-grasping? Don't other beings get affected? Has anyone noticed that? (laughs) So this is not an abstract theory. It's just based on Real understanding, clear, intuitive wisdom. Everyone has this. We just chanted a song of Zazen. Without exception, we are born in these human bodies so that we can come to make it real. So to understand this, I think it helps us that our daily lives train us in becoming aware of impermanence, one of the key teachings of Buddhism is everything changes. You like it? That's nice. It's already gone. You don't like it? Oh, you may think it's forever, but guess what? It, too, is changing. So impermanence. I was reading in the New York Times one of the Sunday papers that seemed to add up in their permanence in my house <laughs> and finally got to something I don't know what month what 
what week. But anyway, it was a very interesting article about a new app. You can get this app on your phone <coughs> five times a day. It tells you you're dying. Death will come. Guess what? You're not going to live forever. Variations on that theme. Obviously, a Buddhist practitioner made this app up. <laughs> But people have really taken to it, especially young people, evidently, are buying this app. To understand the great matter, this great matter of life and death, we must become truly aware that indeed we are dying. Because we have been given these miraculous bodies and minds. Body mind. We have taken form. What does it mean to take form? To take form means to disintegrate. The moment something is from formlessness taking form, it's already returning into formlessness, right? You know, the expiration date that is stamped on what you buy in the store, it's already moving toward that date. I was telling Jika, and she agreed with my example, thinking the same thing independently. She said, Every time I think, oh, it's garbage day. It's garbage day already? It was just garbage day yesterday. I have to put out the trash? What? It's another week gone. I'm a week closer to my death. And it's only about a day's worth, less, from one Monday to the next. So you don't need an app, right? All you need is to realize that everything we do has the expiration date stamped on it. Everything we accumulate has an expiration date. We can't read it sometimes. Reading it for, you know, this, it's a little harder, but when you get older, not so hard. Disintegrating. We had a film on Friday night, thanks to Daigon, called Departure, The Departure. And it's about someone who.、Uh, Led a rather hedonistic life of、uh, vast quantities of drink and drugs and music, and had a feeling of enormous inner doubt and desolation, having experienced the suicides of his uncle and two very close friends. And eventually, this guy, who basically is killing himself through all these various ways of living, 
ends up in a crash, motorcycle crash, and uh, spends, I don't know, a long time in the hospital and meets his wife-to-be, who's a nurse there. And as many times we find in the wake of something extraordinarily fraught, he makes a decision to change his life. And during that time, he sees an ad, priest wanted. Now in Japan, there are more and more temples that are empty and need someone to come in, and there are fewer and fewer people who are training in the priesthood, and many uh, hereditary temples are not being passed down because nobody wants to take it on. So anyway, he sees this ad, he decides, sure, I'll do that. I'll become a monk. And in the film, it doesn't give much in the way of uh, practice or his training. So you jump right into what he is doing now that he is a monk. Aside from a couple of scenes where He's shown chanting sutras or meditating. What he's doing is he's working with people who want to commit suicide. So he's taken his own experience that has not at all been resolved and trying to keep people from doing what his uncle and his friends did. And you can feel the desperate nature of what is indeed in some way a truly compassionate act each time he goes to meet with somebody who wants to kill herself or himself. But the motivation is clearly not pure, clearly based on his own unresolved fear of death and inability to truly understand this great matter. I kept wishing during the film that he would just sit down and shut up and do zazen. You know, you're a Zen monk. Hello. But instead, he's driven. Anytime anyone calls, he's out there. He's talking on his phone. He's speeding off on his motorcycle, leaving his wife and little son. So something happens in this film, and he there is a change, and it's quite an amazing ending. And I hope that you'll be able to watch it, so I won't tell it to you. But in any case, it really had an impact, I think, for many of us to really understand what one ancient Zen teacher said, Zazen is not difficult. Just have a strong vow. This strong vow doesn't appear and become your life just at the click of your fingers, you know? It's not like that. It's like practice. Put yourself on the cushion. Realize that your presence is making it possible for others to sit. Have a strong vow. Sazen is not difficult. 
Just have a strong vow. This means your life is not difficult. All the things you think of that are preventing you from being happy in your relationship or in whatever family life you, whatever it is, your job, it's what's lacking is the awareness. Let's say how the Dhammapada puts it. For those who know their lives will end soon. Quarrels come to an end. We can put this everywhere in our house, right? Put this, just this little thing. And every time you find yourself in a you know, very vehement disagreement with someone, remember, my life will end soon. Quarrels come to an end. What am I here for? To perpetuate my views? Or to offer my vow? This is what we need to do every moment, every moment, to realize this interconnectedness, this oneness of being that brings so much happiness. It requires us to give up. I'm circling around again to the first perfection of Donna. We have to give everything that we hold onto, particularly views, particularly being right in whatever quarrels we happen to be involved with. We have to give it up. The Zen master named Kendo Ueki said, the most important thing is to have as few desires as possible. So we all know this, right? The second noble truth, the reason for for our obsessions that make us so miserable right? Looking at the second noble truth, what is the cause, the origin of dukkha? Many times it's translated as desire or craving and aversion or resistance. Yes? Very simple. In any one moment, we can notice these things arising. I have to. I need. I want. I don't like. Get away. If this is gone from my life, then I will be free to become enlightened. So, actually, We cannot have this free and open-hearted giving, which is number one in the six perfections, yes? Dana. We cannot experience this giving when we are all about clinging to what we think we need. And I wanted to read uh, something from a book that 
Andy uh, was reading the other day and shared with me, this is by Geshe Kelsang Gyatso, called the Bodhisattva Vow, and he goes through the training in the six perfections. You know this? He says, maintaining the bodhisattva vows is the basis for the actual trainings of the bodhisattva. Maintaining the vows. These are all included within the practice of the six perfections. So all of you know this because every year we put out the Jizo figure for each year. And on the back is my translation of the six perfections. So you all know this, right? Numero uno. Yeah, Donna. Giving. And then, of course, Sheila. uh, Precepts, moral discipline. And patience, number three, very important. What can we do without patience? And four, very important, too, is the Diligence, the energy we give to practice. The practice of patience and the diligence of practicing patience, practicing all of the six perfections, these all come together as one and fifth and sixth are zazen, jhana, and wisdom, prajna. So anyway, in this little book, he says, if we wish to become enlightened, now this is very important, excuse me, we have to have this wish. We cannot be just saying, okay, I'll just come to the Zendo and someday maybe, uh, you know, uh, something will happen. That's like, you limit yourself if you think that way. You have to have this yearning, this burning wish to free yourself from all the things I talked about earlier in this talk. I'm not going to repeat myself. I already have. So very important what he says. If we wish to become enlightened, And we understand that this is not some sort of personal gain, right? Why? How can we say, I vow to save all beings and leave ourselves out? We cannot wish to save all beings if we see them as those beings out there. What's the Diamond Sutra say about liberating beings? Sabuti? There are no beings to liberate. Don't make a thing out of any being. It's not a being with some sort of permanent and inherent reality any more than you yourself have a separated identity, okay? So, all right, this is a long 
parentheses, I will finish the sentence that he says here. If we wish to become enlightened, but do not engage in these actions, what are these actions? Thank you. Okay. If we do not engage in these paramitas as a practice, every moment of every day, now I will get back to what he says. We are like someone who wants to go to India, but does not actually make the journey. The journey is this amazing practice that we are doing. We are already enlightened when we are on the journey. We are in India when we are on the journey. But if we just project, no. So he says, Giving that is motivated by bodhicitta, by enlightened compassion, is a perfection of giving. There are three kinds of giving. Giving material things, giving dharma, and giving fearlessness. So I won't go into each of these, but I think for yourself you can look within and see what is your motivation for giving. This is so important. The motivation of the monk who was featured in this film may have been somewhat imperfect, but it got him going on the journey, right? And because he started on that journey, he was able to see the ways in which it was perhaps all about him, until a certain point when he was able to change within and feel he too had to die. In other words, wake up to the reality of hmm, what? Impermanence, yes. All that time fighting against it making great attempts, heroic attempts, to ensure that no one else could die. Oh, Roshi, just another comment about that film. He also, that self-other kind of dissolved as he, at that point, because remember he was talking to that person who at the beginning, the man, he was helping him, mm -hmm. but then he said to him, we're both, we're not very good fathers. Was so such, was, yeah. There was like, uh, it wasn't, I'm helping you. It was like, we're in this together. You know, so. He realized that. That's a very important point. Realizing that there was no person helping someone mm -hmm. else, but, and no beings to liberate yeah. or save from death. It had to be looking at himself as a father. And remember that scene in which they went through the exercise of giving up, writing on a piece of paper what you're going to, realizing you have to give up this and this and this and this, and on the paper that he wrote. You remember? His son. Yeah. 
So, yes, the film has a lot to offer, to reflect upon, to realize how much our own fears and our own unresolved clinging, our unresolved trying to come to terms with what we think we need in order to be a truly content and happy being get in our way. And to just return to this breath, to return to just sitting, to return to this fierceness to give this fearlessness to be in people's lives in any possible way, however we happen to find ourselves, without trying to continue the clinging, but rather truly giving ourselves away. We can model this. We can be present in this. This is the giving of the Dharma. So I just really want to say to you all that you may think this is a matter of choice, but it's not. This choiceless Dharma requires our giving, our strength of moral purpose, our patient endurance of no matter what comes, just keep going. Our determination, vigor, assiduity, our meditation, day in, day out, wherever we are, in the midst of going through something, to be able to return to this breath, this and the cultivation of the inner wisdom that we, each one of us, has. And going through the whole cycle of these six perfections again and again until we really see them as this one. being with all being there is no greater happiness than this